What's up, church? We are so grateful to have you guys. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is a pivotal, pivotal week for Christians around the world. And you may be here today and you may be, uh, you may be new to church. Maybe it's been a while since you've been. Maybe uh, you typically don't go all that often, but you're here for Easter. We're grateful to have you. And one of the greatest things that we could do is help you get plugged in. But the thing is this, I don't want to get you plugged in simply because you believe that there's a God. Matter of fact, to be very honest with you, I don't think that the disciples belief in God was actually enough for them. I mean, remember, if, if, if you remembered, Jesus is talking to the 12, and he, he says, who do people say that I am? And among the 12, a few disciples piped up, and they said, well, well some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Like, some say you're Jeremiah. Like, you're one of the greats. And Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the same guy that denied Jesus three times, the, the one who's asked by a middle school girl about Jesus, he denies Jesus in front of a little middle school girl. He goes, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Now, the thing is this, like, they did believe that, right? But, like, was it their belief that really made the difference? Because let me ask you a question. Like, you remember the tomb? Like, on the third day, I mean, they're looking for a resurrection, no, they're not there. I mean, like, there was nobody there going, okay, here it is. It's coming. 10, 9, 8, 7. Here he comes. 3, 2. Like, I mean, they're not even there. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, they didn't believe so much that he was the Messiah that they were even there at the tomb. Matter of fact, you remember a couple of ladies went to the tomb and they were going with different spices and uh, they were going to take some myrrh and some aloe and some different things and, and they were going to try to place it on Jesus, kind of help with, and the reason why is because they knew that Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea did it. They're like, well, two guys couldn't do it right, so we're going to have to go and make sure that it gets done right. You know what I mean? So they go, and then they actually run into Jesus. And at that point, they run back to the disciples, and guess what? They're huddled up, like they're, they're all kind of, you know, mourning a little bit. They're not really sure what to do. I mean, this guy that they had given their lives to, this Messiah that they believed in, I mean, he's gone, and they're thinking, well, what have we invested our life in? I mean, we left our jobs, our families, our vocation, everything. I mean, we left our fishing behind to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. And, and the question is, is this, is like, what changed it? Like, what changed their thought process? Well, can, can I tell you, it, it wasn't their belief that changed it. Matter of fact, like Mark, he believed. Luke, he believed. John believed. Matthew believed. I mean, but the question is like, okay, Peter, he believed. But what changed it? Like, what brought them out of hiding and, and into a, a devotion that we see in the New Testament? Like, what changed? What, what excited them? It wasn't their belief. It was the fact that they actually saw a resurrected Jesus. Like they believed in Jesus the Messiah, but they didn't believe in it enough to be there. But when they began to see him, when Thomas was able to, to touch him, then something changed in them. Why? Because it's not everybody, it's not everybody every day that somebody rises from the dead. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like James, like James is the half-brother of Jesus. And like he didn't even believe, like he thought that Jesus was a clown. 
Like he was like, oh, he is not the son of God. There's nothing. But guess what? Do you know what convinced him? Like, I'll tell you this. If my brothers claim to be the son of God, do you know what convinced me? Nothing. <laughs> Until one of them rose from the dead. And at that point, you got me. You know what I'm saying? And that's when James changed. Like James became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he was a guy that before the resurrection didn't believe. The disciples did believe. His half-brother didn't believe. But what changed it all? The fact that they saw a resurrected Jesus. Luke even records in, in Acts. He says that not only did Jesus appear to us, not only did I touch him, not only did I dine with him, not only did we celebrate with him, not only did we talk to him, but he appeared to five, uh, 500 other witnesses as well. And the thing is this, that's what changed everything. It's the fact that Jesus is alive. And the thing is, is the reason that we're here today is because there's something in us that we go, maybe that's a possibility. Like you may not be a churchgoer, you may be a little bit skeptical, but there's something in you that goes, okay, maybe there is a possibility. Because after all, you can't find him. You haven't produced a body. No one has. The thing is, is, I'm going to do a little twist up on you today. While we believe that the resurrection certainly occurred, that's what overcame death and sin, and it gives us hope for eternity. I want you to see something that happened just a a couple of days before the cross. And I want you to see this perspective and maybe a way that you've never seen it before. If you got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. If you don't have them, that's okay. We're gonna provide it for you up on the screen. As you're leaving, if you're a first time guest, please feel free that on the other side of this curtain, there's kind of a resource table there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Whether you're a teenager or an adult, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible because we believe that that's the trusted source of reliability for us to discover all things about God. And so you need it. And so we'd love to bless you with that. Luke chapter 23, though, we see this story, and it says in verse 1 that the whole assembly rose and they led him off to Pilate, him being Jesus. Now, What's interesting is, is if you look in Luke chapter 22, if you look at other gospel narratives, Mark gives you a gospel narrative of it. Uh, Matthew gives you a picture of it. John gives you a very detailed picture of this same story. They're leading Jesus off in, in before this guy named Pilate. Now, here's the crazy thing. You ready for this? This is actually going to be Jesus's fourth trial. Like he had already seen three different people. He went before uh, Annas, and then from there he went in front of a guy named Caiaphas, and after Caiaphas he went in front of the entire Sanhedrin. And he had three trials religiously, and every single one of them checked out, and he was innocent. And so he went before uh, uh, Annas, and, and he, was, he was innocent. He went before Caiaphas, he was found innocent. He went before the Sanhedrin, he's found innocent. And so now they think, I'm going to bring it before this guy named Pilate. Now the question is, is who in the world is Pilate? Well, Pilate is a a chief official in that time, and he had a lot of say. Now the crazy thing about uh, this guy named Pilate, though, is that he was in a little bit of a predicament. And here's why. He did not like Jews at all. 
He didn't care for them at all. He'd killed thousands of Jews. And he had no problem with killing thousands of Jews. The only problem is, it, is that he had killed so many and he had been such a thorn in their flesh that it had gotten actually back to all the leaders in Rome and it had actually taken him out of their good grace. And so now he's kind of in a, a little bit of a predicament. He wants to be in favor with, with Herod and uh, with all the guys in Rome, but the problem is, is they're tired of him because he's bringing so much chaos and calamity among the Jews. And so the Jews don't like him. He doesn't like them, but he's in this predicament. Now, here's this. If you're a Jew and there's a guy who stirred up so much dissension among the ranks, but you know that he's in a rock and a hard place, so to say. He can't please the people in Rome. And so maybe in order to get back into their good grace, maybe he'll scratch your back because you've done so many things for him. That's the dilemma. And so you've got this group of Jews called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They make up the Sanhedrin. And they go, you know what? We couldn't find any fault with uh, Ananias' court. We, we couldn't find any fault in Caiaphas' court. We couldn't bring any charge against him as the Sanhedrin. Let's take him to Pilate. I bet you anything we can press him because what does he want to do? He wants to please the people politically. I bet we can force his hand on this. And so look what happens. They lead him off, and they begin to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. And so, essentially, what you see here are some charges. And you see all these things that are, are being said about Jesus. They're saying, you know what, he's a rebel. Uh, he, he, he's actually trying to overthrow Rome, and, and he, he doesn't want any power there and, and he they're just beginning to make up all these lies about who Jesus is and and they say that Pilate then turns to Jesus verse 3 and he says are you the king of the Jews and Jesus says you have said so in John it says it is as you say is what Jesus said yes indeed I am he but the problem is is that this group of people is then asked by Pilate, why are you bringing him here? And, and they, they kind of kind of go around uh, a, little, a little bit around the bush. Matter of fact, in John chapter 18, verse 30, it says, if he were not a criminal, we wouldn't have brought you to him. But they don't really have a charge. Like They don't really have anything against him other than they're just saying, oh, he, he's trying to defy Rome, which was a lie. Matter of fact, everything about these trials were lies. They just kept bringing up more and more accusations that weren't true. But look what happens in verse 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I have found no basis for a charge against this man. Literally, he made a Latin decree. Non fuce vitator. No guilt in this man at all. And it was a, an official decree where he stamped his, his ring to it and said, there's nothing here. And get this, in that moment, Jesus had just gone through his fourth trial. Three religious and his very first right here that was a, a public trial politically. But then they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and he's come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate goes, what, what did you say? Did, did you say he is from Galilee? Awesome, awesome. We actually can kick this to Herod's court. Herod happens to be in Jerusalem right now. And so he says, hey, I'm gonna wash my hand of this guy. I'm gonna send him to Herod for his fifth trial. And in verse eight, 
it says that when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. Now Herod, it's interesting, was an Edomite. Edomites came from Esau. You remember Esau? He sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. He was a hairy dude and he had what? An appetite as an animal. That's the idea. And this was Herod. Herod was a, a guy who had an appetizing animal. He was a vicious man, but he loved what? The things of spiritual rim. Matter of fact, Herod is the same guy who had conversations with John the Baptist before taking his head. He talked about spiritual things. But it says that he said he was greatly pleased because for a long time he wanted to see Jesus. And from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. This is Herod, the son of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant, the father of the Herod who would kill the half-brother of James, or Jesus, his, his brother James later on. It's the grandfather of the same guy who would have a showdown with the apostle Paul. But Herod said, I want to see this Jesus. I've been hearing about him. I want to have a conversation with him. And in verse 9, it says, he plied with him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and they mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. And that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. You remember that Pilate had had some fault with Herod and they couldn't get along. Why? Because Pilate kept bringing about all these things and he was causing chaos and dissension among the Jews. But get this, they finally get to the point where they, in this scenario, they go, you know what, let's become buddies. But Herod takes the opportunity to what? Kick Jesus back to Herod's court. And so get this, literally within a period of about 12 to 14 hours, Jesus is going to his sixth trial. The first one before Ananias, he was not guilty, no charged. The second one, Caiaphas, no charge. The third one before the Sanhedrin, no charge. The fourth one before Pilate, no charge. Kicked to Herod's court, no charge. And back to Pilate. And look what Pilate does. Then Pilate calls the chief priests together, the rulers and, and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. But I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him, then I will release him. But the people began to shout, away with this man, release Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. If you look at the other accounts, Luke and John and Matthew, they say he was a robber. He was an insurrectionist, which means he was a rebel against Rome. Like he wanted to overthrow Rome. He killed people along the way. He was a thug. He was a thief. He deserved to be in chains. And the people now begin to shout, give us Barabbas. Historians would say that Barabbas' name actually was Yeshua Bar-Abbas. Jesus Bar, son of Abba, the father. 
And essentially what you have is this. You have two men now in this story. I mean, as you read, don't you think this story is about Jesus? It's about his trials. It's about him going to the cross. It's about the crucifixion. And then all of a sudden, this guy, Barabbas, Barabbas pops up into the story. You're like, what is he doing here? Like, what, is, what, is he, what does he have to do with anything? I mean, and his name literally means son of the father. And so now you've got two people in the story. You've got son of the father, Barabbas, and you've got Jesus, son of the father. One is guilty. And one has been found innocent six times. You go, what is, what is he there for? Like, like why is he there? Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate then appeals to the crowd again. He's innocent. He, he is innocent. But the people keep shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now, now what's interesting is, is that you get a little bit of approach here that you don't always see everywhere else. And John shows you what happens. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, here's what happened. In that period of time, Pilate decides, I'm going to just punish Jesus myself, and then we're going to release him. He wanted to do everything in his power to release this guy. And so he takes him back into the praetorium. And the Jews couldn't go there because they were worried about getting caught in the praetorium on the Sabbath. And so they leave the work to Pilate. But Pilate takes him off and with a couple of soldiers, they strip Jesus of all of his clothes and they leave him just in his linen. And they bend him over a pole. And they take a cat of nine tails, which looks like a short whip. It was bound with a handle and then had leather strips, multiple of them. And on that, it had shards of glass small pieces of metal, rock or bone or anything that they could get. And as they bent Jesus over, they began to beat him. One hit at a time. As blood splatters and skin is ripped off his back, Jesus never says a word. Matter of fact, it's as Isaiah said it himself, Jesus was what? Oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shear. He was silent and he did not open his mouth. And he took that beating and his skin was marred, marred and his back was mangled to the point where you couldn't even recognize him. And then you see that Pilate goes out to the people and John says that he goes and he says, hey, we're gonna release this man. There's no charge against him. And then the Jews pop up and you see their motive. Wait a second, no, 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 no. In, in our law, in our culture, if this man claims to be the son of God, he's committed blasphemy. We're charging him for that. And then at that moment, it's like Pilate goes, oh, I get it. Oh, I, I see I get it. You said he was an insurrectionist. You said he was a rebel against Rome, but that's not it. You don't like him. He's taking the attention off of you. He's the guy that called you as a Pharisee, what, a whitewashed tomb. He said he, he's the one that told you that you look good on the outside, but like a dead man, your bones are wasting on the inside. You don't like this guy. And, and here it is. I found the motive. I get it. 
And then he goes back into Jesus. After hearing this, he was worried and he was distressed. Pilate then knew there is something different about this guy. He, he has handled everything differently. I've asked him questions and he did not respond. We beat him to the point of death and he never moaned. He never groaned. He never did anything. This is craziness. Who is this guy? And he goes into Jesus and he says, Jesus, he says, I want to know where you're from. And Jesus did not reply. And at that point, Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, don't you understand who I am? He says, I hold the power over you. I can release you today or I can take you and crucify you. And at that point, Jesus looked up and he said, you have no authority over me other than what's been given to you by the Father. He said, Pilate, you have no authority in this matter. And at that point, Pilate goes out among the people. And you just begin to see him say, what is it that you want? And he appeals to them. He says, let's let this guy go. And then you just see they keep shouting, no, crucify him. No, crucify him. We want him dead. Crucify him. And for the third time he spoke to them, he says, Why? What has he done? Like, what has he done? Tell me one thing that he's done. Tell me one thing. Like, there's no grounds for him to have the penalty of death. Therefore, I'm going to punish him, and I'm having him released. And the people become indignant. And Pilate stands on the center stage in this audacious moment of his life, and he asks this question. Who is it that you want? And they said, give us Jesus, son of the father, the one who stands innocent. Wait, 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 wait. What did you just say? Like, can you imagine being Pilate in this moment? Like, what did you just say? You want the innocent one? You want the one who... Who's done no wrong? Like the only thing that we have against him is that he took a leper who was unclean and he made him clean. You're telling me he's the guy that made the lame to walk and he made the blind to see? Like he, he took the mute and he healed him? He made the deaf to hear? Like you want him and then you've got, you've got this Barabbas over here who really is an insurrectionist. He really has killed guys. He really has changed guys. You're, you're wanting him? You want the guilty one? Over the free one? Now, now, could you imagine? Could you imagine being this guy named Barabbas? All he's heard is, give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! Crucify him! And he's 2,000 feet away in the praetorium, and he's going, oh my gosh, my life's about to end today. But the whole time, they're saying, give us the guilty and you take the innocent one. Give us the guilty, and you take the innocent one. And, and like, like I read this story, and I wonder, like, what in the world is going on? Like, how is this even making sense? It, it is craziness, isn't it? Like, have you thought about this? You're telling me that you want the innocent? To die? 
And you're going to take the, the guilty and you're going, to, you're going to unshackle him. And in this moment, they bring out Barabbas and the people begin to hell. Barabbas, Barabbas, free Barabbas. And Barabbas looks around and like, can you imagine what he's thinking? Oh my gosh, what? I'm not going to die? Like, like, you're not talking about crucifying me? Oh no. And the Roman guards come and they take this man who was rightly chained, who stood guilty under the law, and they unshackle him. With their keys, they unlock him. They take his legs, which had been bound for years, and they free him. And he literally is on the pinnacle stage. Israel has gathered around, and he walks out down the stage. He's like, I'm free. Oh, I'm free. Oh my gosh, I'm free. Oh, look at me. I am free, baby. I am free. I'm coming after you. Oh, I, hey, I've been thinking about you. I'm free. I'm after you. And the crazy thing is this. I go, what in the world is Barabbas doing in this story? Like, like why is he in this narrative? I mean, isn't this about Jesus? I'm like, isn't this about the Son of God? Isn't this about the King of Kings who's about to lay his life down? And you're wanting this guilty man to walk scot-free? And then I'm like, oh, God, like, how do you want that? Like, how are you going to just let this guy go scot-free? And, and then all of a sudden, like, it doesn't occur to you. See, as Pilate walks off the stage, do you realize he never looks back at Jesus and all the gospel accounts, and he never looks back and goes, hey, thank you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done to make them so mad, but thank you. You set me free. You changed my life forever. Thank you. Like, he never does that, does he? You've got this guilty, condemned man, and he never looks back. He never takes even an ounce of time to think this guy who's standing in his place and, and who's about to take his shame. And matter of fact, Jesus, just in a few short hours, is gonna be led up the hill to the skull, to Golgotha. He's gonna be nailed to the cross, center stage, with two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. And you know who needed to be on the center one? Barabbas, son of the father, the one who stood condemned. Guilty, it's charged. And I think, well, why isn't he there? And, like, and, and then it occurs to me. Like, it, then I start thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. It's Bar Barabbas is walking down the stage. He never looks back to think, Jesus, he thinks, he thinks like you think. Man, Pilate's crazy. Why did he do this? Man, the, the people, and Barabbas, he's, he's going down. He's like, I'm free. Hey, thank you. Hey, thank you for letting me free. Oh, thank you. Hey, Pilate, thank you. Thank you, Pilate. I'm free. I'm free. And get this. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Pilate, you have no authority other than what was granted to you by the Father. And in that moment, it occurs to me, church, that God loved Barabbas. The sinner stood condemned. He loved him so much that he actually took Jesus and he charged him with the guilt of Barabbas and he took Barabbas and he gave him the innocence of Jesus. And you go, that doesn't even make sense. You're crazy. And then you realize, oh, 
I've always thought I was the guy who was yelling, crucify him. No, 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 no. You are Barabbas. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. I'm the guilty. Isaiah 53.10, what? Said he, what? Was charged and guilty so you may have life. Jesus loves you that much. Like, like he wants a relationship with you. And I know that you're here and, and there's many of us that, like, let's just be honest, you hadn't taken any time lately to really look back and thank God for what he's given you. Like you're, you're not really thinking of his grace. You're thinking resurrection Sunday and I'm here, blah, 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 blah. Same message, same thing I hear every year. Well, listen to me. Let me ask you this question. Maybe you are skeptical. Maybe you are wondering like, okay, is this right? Is it not? Like, like can I just ask you one thing? Because like I talk to people all the time, they say, there's no God, give me proof, show me something, give me a sign. And I can't help but ask you this one question, if that's your mindset. Can I just ask you one question? Where's Jesus? Voltaire said, within 100 years of my life and death, there will be no more Bible. We will have burned it from existence. And he made it his mission to kill the Christian faith and to cease the Bible from existence. 50 years after he died, they used his house as a Bible printing press. I mean, for centuries, people have been making it their mission to disprove and discredit Jesus Christ. And they do it through theories, they do it through philosophy. They do it through their own intellect and wisdom. But the one thing that you cannot prove and the one thing that you cannot give anyone is a body. You can't do it. There's no body. And until you get a body, you'll never convince me otherwise. And the reason why is this. There is no other deity that has ever left a perfect heavenly home to stand in the place of a guilty sinner such as Barabbas. What deity does that? And you question and you wonder, oh, if God is such a good God, oh, why would he do this and why would he do that? You know what? I don't know everything that happens in life. I can't always explain circumstances, but I can tell you one thing. Life's not fair and it certainly wasn't fair that Barabbas was unchained and let go on center stage so that Jesus would be condemned to death. But isn't that what Paul said? Yet while we were sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us in this, right? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so my prayer is, church, today, that as you walk out of this high school on a dreary day, that not only do you celebrate the resurrection, but would you actually celebrate that Jesus, the one who was perfect and righteous and who had never sinned, became sin so that you, Barabbas, the guilty, the charged, the one who honestly, your life is kind of jacked up, 
You've been searching after your own fortune and your fame. You've been making a name of yourself. You've been chasing things of this earth. You've been trying to live through your kids and you're trying to build them up and make them something. You want them to have a life that you've never had. Like you, you want to become somebody. There's some of you that you're caught up in, in lies and you're caught up in bad business practices and you're a thief and some of you are addicts and some of you are just struggling. And, and honestly, you should find comfort in this. If you knew what I thought, you wouldn't even go to church here. And so the praise God that I'm Barabbas too, right? But God does not want to leave you in the condition that Barabbas was in. He wants to free you. And I believe that today, I believe that day is today. At Stone Point, we don't do invitations. I've had a lot of people over the last several years go, hey, man, why don't y'all do more invitations? I personally, I believe that we lead people to Jesus Christ through a personal lifestyle, through conversations. But I would love to get some conversations today. And so maybe you're here and you go, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I, I know it. And, and, and I'm tired of living a lie. I'm tired of, of trying to say that I do one thing and yet I do another. I'm tired of trying to dig out of the ditch every single week, every single year. It seems like I turn over the same new leaf. But I don't want to do that anymore. Maybe that's you and you go, today's the day. I'm asking Jesus to set me free. And my prayer is, is that you would take the next few moments as our band comes and that you would respond. If you're here today and you would say, I'm guilty as charged, but I pray that Jesus Christ would stand in my place, then I'm going to ask that you would come and that you would just give your life to Jesus Christ. There are others of you here that, like, one of the greatest things that you need to really be praying about is your dedication, not to his church, but to Christ himself. And when you get that right, then everything else, dedication to his church and all those things, they work themselves out. But maybe today, like you just need to genuinely repent for your family. Like there are some men in here that it's time to step up and it's time to lead your family. And we just encourage you. Would you just say, Lord, I, I've, I need you in this moment. I need you in this hour. I pray that you would move in a mighty way and that you would speak to me. And that you would challenge me, Lord. And, and Lord, while I stood condemned, you freed me. But Lord, I'm asking that you would make me into the man that you're calling me to be. Just seek him. And so we don't do invitations all that often, but today's an invitation. Not an invitation to come see me, an invitation to come bow and meet with your Lord and Savior. You don't have to come here to do that. You can do it in your seat. And so as we pray, I'm gonna ask that we stand together, but let's pray together. Father, in heaven, I thank you that though the Israelites said crucify him, crucify him, and there was no fault found in him, Pilate said, what charge do you have against this man? I find nothing wrong. It was the same that Ananias said. It was the same as Caiaphas said. It was the same thing that the Sanhedrin said. It's the same thing that Herod said. There's nothing here. In the midst of the lies, in the midst of the deception, the Israelites put the wrong guy on the cross. But because of the fact that they were wrong, 
we can actually be in a right relationship with Jesus. And so we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way. And the Father, that we would understand that it was your will to crush Jesus, cause him to suffer, and make his life an offering for our sin. I pray that that resonates in us, that it convicts us, that as cheaters, as convicts, as rebels, that you would forgive us and that you would move in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.